this is another episode of my podcast, Science and Cryptids with Mark. Today we will be talking about remote viewing. The co-host of this podcast today is my dad. Hi guys, how's it going? My dad's going to read some things about remote viewing, then we'll have a quick conversation, and it'll basically be the end. So my first question is, Mark, what is remote viewing? Basically, the ability to see an object that is, like, hidden from view. Like, my sister Lottie is downstairs, if I picture her in my mind. And so you'll be able to tell, like, what her color shirt is, what she's doing. Yeah. Something that really you shouldn't be able to know unless you're visually looking at her in the same place. Right? Yeah. Cool. Do so you want to talk a little bit about the history? Yeah. So a little bit of history about remote viewing. Obviously, through the years, and historically, there are different records and different cultures that have different beliefs in remote viewing. You know, a few different ways it's called is clairvoyance, extrasensory perception, foretelling, prophesying, seers. So there's a lot of different words that kind of have similar understanding or similar definition of the ability to understand, see, or know something that you're not present or knew prior to an event. In our most recent history, you know, there are professionals that have tried to make it a scientific study. But they failed. And yes, and as we'll talk through stories, we'll explain what their experiments were, what went well, and what the struggles are that have prevented ongoing research and development of this capability. So one of the individuals that has researched this is a person called J.B. Ryan. And about the 1930s, he wanted to expand the study of paranormal performance with larger groups of people. And you try to create standard experiments and protocols with human subjects. But with these other studies, Ryan was reluctant to publicize this work because he was really worried about the criticism from mainstream scientists because to a lot of those scientists, this was very much hocus pocus. And then in the 1970s, two individuals called Herod Puthoff and Russell Targ joined the Electronics and Bioengineering Laboratory of Stanford Research Institute now called SRI International, where they initiated studies of the paranormal that were at force supported with private funding from a few different foundations out there. And another group of people was John Taylor and Edward Belanowski. They tested the psychic Matthew Manning in remote viewing. And there was just Ooh, that proved, sounds cool. Yeah, so they had someone who said, I am, you know, a professional remote viewing. But when I went through the testing, they said the results were unsuccessful. Throughout the 1990s until, you know, the end of the 1990s, there's diverse people that looked into this, including the government. Army Colonel William Johnson, who managed the remote viewing unit, evaluating its subject's usefulness. By, you know, about 1994, the program went decline and basically died off um, success. There's also something, I don't remember what year it was. They looked for people that could do remote viewing, and then they used them to, like, spy on submarines. Some people say that remote viewing doesn't exist, like my friend Wyatt, because if it existed, we would have we would have seen Pearl Harbor being bombed. Remote viewing doesn't let you see the future; it lets you see the present. Not everything has been confirmed, but some of it has. So, so tell me about the story about the remote viewing of Mars. Um, someone was paid by like the government to remote view and spy on submarines and stuff. But he's like, "Hey, this is boring. I'm gonna go do something cool." So he remote viewed the surface of Mars before people landed stuff there. Some of the stuff he said, true, kind of. Like when they landed rovers there, they could tell that it was bumpy. So not all of it has been confirmed yet, but it hasn't not been confirmed. Oh, cool. That's interesting. 
So one of those one of those projects that was done, as, as Mark has mentioned, is something called the PEARS Remote Perception Program. It was done by Princeton Engineering and Anomalies Research Lab. And what they did is they'd taken you know hundreds of different individuals and done trials. They had stated that their research had concluded that there was a positive success score of the remote viewing. But where the problem comes in is that as other scientists have been dubious about this capability in this whole new science area, they looked into the research and the general perspective is that the criteria and the way that they were in research was very much compromised. And they've tried to replicate the experiments based off of their criteria. And all the times that they have, they haven't been able to provide the same results using not only, I say probably not only the the right criteria, but making sure um, a credible criteria versus it finding that flaws were, were made throughout the whole testing. Yeah, I remember reading, it was bias. It's like if I gave someone a test and I said, what color is the car in the front yard? They don't know what color it is. But then if I said, my favorite color is black, they would pick black. And they would probably be correct. Right. Because you're giving them like a hint. There's questions about in these earlier testings about was there leading going on? Was the information questions, was it very much a neutral question? Or were they catering the questions to try to influence the right type of answers or provide hints to have good guessing? And so that was definitely part of the issue with these initial projects is they had discovered that has been happening. Another project out there is called the Stargate Project. And it was, you know, the remote viewing sessions include a lot of irrelevant or erroneous data. And it was done by the government of hoping to use it as another way to get intelligence. The government is very big on having intelligence gathering from diverse means. And so they're hoping that this could potentially be that. Just so you know, intelligence means like information, like when spies steal stuff. For years they're using this, but you know, there's a lot of suspected that the project manager in fall was using cues or shaping information to give leading questions that really kind of mess with the, the outputs. But and also, some people actually could do that. 100% could remote view. Another problem with that project is that the person that was running it, or was part of running it and making it successful, was also the person that was supposed to evaluate if the program was successful, so you have a conflict of interest. The program was going for, for about two decades, but it had failed because it just didn't provide any really credible evidence the intelligence community that was funding this could do anything with. So they basically said, well, two, two decades, 20 years of working on this, and there's been no positive impact, they shut it down. Um, what do you think of remote viewing that? Like, what's your opinion on it? Do I believe in it? Yes. You know, I have personal experiences about the ability to remote view. I guess I don't know enough about it to feel that there's very, very credible science of this is why and how it works versus not. But I know in my personal life, there's been opportunities. I remember one time I was at a house. I was down in South America. We were knocking on the door of someone that, I want to say a friend, someone I knew a little bit. Um, but when we stood in front of that door, we had not, you know, hadn't talked to them in a few weeks. I got the impression that someone had died within the house. So we knock on the door and the answer and we start talking to him and yeah, sure enough, someone had died and I knew about it. Yeah. So I've had that another experience. We were sitting down with someone, their boy was unhappy. He was down in Brazil and mom's like, he's not having a day today. And I knew it was because his mom was pregnant and they had like, already had nine kids and so it was the oldest boy he wasn't very excited about having another kid because their financial situation wasn't very good and so he was just seeing the burden of it 
like she didn't say anything, you know, just very early on. And yeah, she said, yeah, I said, I just very found out I was pregnant a few days ago. So I've had some experiences about that. My dad went to Ukraine once. Two years before he went to Ukraine, my mom said, we're going to move to Ukraine. Like they were just sitting in a car. My dad's like, what? Mom said, we're going to move to Ukraine. We didn't move to Ukraine. But two years later, my dad went to Ukraine. So did I. But my mom foretold the future. My mom also, like, she can tell when we're going to move. Yeah, we've moved like 10 times in the last 10 years. Oh, maybe about 15 years. But every time, your mom, right, Tamara, she's always say, hey, we're going to move about this month next year. Yeah, yeah. she's been pretty she dead on, tell, right? Like she Those has motherly, motherly instinctual powers. She has a vague like knowledge of where we're going to move. Like when she said we're going to move to Ukraine. Yes, it, it was two years later, like she said, but... We didn't move to Ukraine exactly. You just like got a job there. Talk a little bit more about this experience in Ukraine. And I have a question about it. I want your opinion on it. A little more details. We felt two years ahead of time that there was going to be a move. And I just barely got a job where I was a thousand be the job for the next 10 years. And I didn't have any desire to move. So clearly it wasn't just a self-prophesying of, hey, we're going to move so we'll make it happen. Six months away from the time we're going to move, Tamara had said that we needed, it's going to be something overseas that we need to get ready for. And we felt specifically Eastern Europe, and she even mentioned Ukraine. It didn't make sense. It's like, there's no, like, how will we go to Ukraine or Eastern Europe? Like, there was no job opportunities there. We hadn't been looking at them. I still wasn't looking at them. Well, we um, have moved in crazy places. Like, yeah. Like, Africa. Oh, man. What year was that? I think it was in 20... Oh, goodness. No, it was 2021. Because 2022 is in the war in Ukraine was going on. So in 2021, about the fall, work had been going fine, but I kind of got this impression that I just needed to quit. And it was really weird because, like, I enjoyed the work, enjoyed who I was working with. Of course, I didn't because that would be just a horrible idea. But, you know, I think it was a couple of weeks later, my boss flew into town and he just fired me. He didn't give me much reasons, like, I don't really have a whole reason why, but letting you go. And it was fine, you know, not the fun experience you'd like to have in life, but it's how life goes. And so we packed up and moved, and that was like in October-ish time. So and like Halloween. Yeah, and same time, so I was trying to find a job, but we felt we should move up to my parents. So we ended up moving into a home with my parents, and at that same time I had a job interview that went well, and they offered me a job. But it was contingent on a contract with the government going through. Very likely they were going to get the contract because they were the ones that submitted the bid. And so that delayed project starting for like, I don't know, eight months. So we're living at my parents' house. Went through Christmas, the early part of the new year. I was just doing some random jobs here or there. Tamara felt that we needed to get all our passports ready. In the moment, it doesn't all make sense. Um, so we got our passports ready and had them expedited so that they would be back in a few months. And we got them back by, you know, the New Year's. And people ask us, well, why are you getting your passports? Like, we don't know. And then after the New Year's, I ended up, you know, doing a few consulting jobs for people and, and um, ways to just kind of pay some of the bills while we're waiting for this other job that I'd accepted to come through. While I was in all these consulting gigs, I was helping some logistics and, and security what's for... A what's a gig? Gig is like a it's like a job but like a short term. It's like yeah, I got a gig. That means you know I'm doing some work for someone, like but not kind of? long term. Yeah, kind of like a paid chore, paid job, but like short term job. So like when I mow the lawn, I get yeah, paid. like yeah, lawn mowing gig. I don't know. I was in America. We were it was with the convoy that was trucking across the U.S. It's helping them with the logistics and the whole organization of that to successfully get from California to the D.C. area. 
and one of the guys there talked about, oh, the stuff, you know, we're in Ukraine's, you know, going to kick off possibly. I'm like, wow, that's nuts. There's no way. One Sunday, I was on, I was still doing this this consulting gig, and some random person sent me an email and said, hey. Um, when you asked mom that, were you thinking about, like, when mom foretold the future of us? At that moment, it's not like I sat there and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is what that was all about. You know, I went to Ukraine and I helped out there for, for months and Mark flew over to help out because we were helping out some orphanages and elderly people and hospitals. But if we didn't have our passports ready and had that prepped and lost my job, because if I saw my full-time job, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the time to go yeah, to Ukraine. Yeah, and you wouldn't have started back. And so, yeah, and so I started a nonprofit that helps out. Oh, when I was a baby, I think we were in an, at an airport, but I pointed to the mountain and I said, we're going to, something like we're going to move there. And like a year later, we moved there. Yeah, that's right. But I was like a baby and I have no idea how I did that. Mark pointed at the mountains and the place that he pointed was, if you were to put it on a map, it was where Heber Valley is, Heber, Heber City. A year or two later... We got a job offer to work for a company that was from Heber City, and we lived in Heber City. Yeah. So that was kind of, it wasn't just the mountains, but you were pointing where the city was at. Why don't you read us like another story? Other examples, people that written books and said stuff, you know, what I was thinking about like the Bible, because, you know, Bible in, in the scriptures are very historically, you know, and the first one I was thinking about is, there was a prophet going through the wilderness, and he came to a house where there's a widower with a, with a young boy. He went into the home, and he asked them for a meal. And the widower was like, well, this is our last meal. Yeah, it was during a famine, and, was, and they yeah. were like, really And it was poor. like, after this, we're going to die. And so they fed the food to the prophet, and he ate up. And after that, he knew that there was more food in the jar for him. He told him that, so... You know, there's probably a few different stuff going on there, but clearly there was, you know, I'd say there was remote viewing because he was my able to know was, that there was more food in the jars. My thought was that since it was a prophet, maybe like God blessed them because they fed one of the people that like worked for him. Yeah, absolutely. They helped God out. The prophet could see inside the jar. <laughs> yeah. I really like those sound effects, but never mind. The prophet could probably see inside, like, the jar. Yeah. And, like, in the book Isaiah, if anyone's read the book of Isaiah, which is very long, but it's one of my favorite books. There's a lot of really great scriptures in there. But he talks a lot about the future, and he articulates different types of war that happens. And so that was type of remote viewing. He's able to actually, and he tried to explain it. Obviously, he didn't know what a helicopter or tank was, but he used different descripting words of, I think he used like scorpion fire breathing out and stuff. So he explained stuff because he could visualize what it was. It's just he didn't have the names that we put it on it hundreds of years later. There is enough evidence out there in written records that does happen and we've experienced in our lives so we do know that whether you call remote viewing or, or um, inspiration revelation but that whole capacity of knowing stuff that you wouldn't just know by yourself really exists i don't think it's a forced habit you can standardize out there in a in society with just scientists saying you're gonna eat two beans you're gonna jump around in a circle three times and then poof you can see something a mile away yeah so like like there are some people who have abilities like that but it's not like they can just do it whenever they want it's kind of like if i had the ability for an ice cream cone to automatically teleport into my hand i couldn't pick when it happened probably 
what just happened and then I would start eating ice cream. An example of remote viewing they were trying to test in those projects. To see a non-present object hidden from physical view that you had never observed before in the past. Stuff that is in the past somewhere, but then also stuff that was in the present. Yeah, I think that some people have the ability to remote view. If I had the ability to remote view, then someone said, what does my room look like? And then I said, okay, you have a pile of dirty clothes, and then your bed is a mess, and then your room's like messy. And Yeah, and so that was part of the other issue with some of these examples. If I said, Mark, there's a bedroom in a house 100 miles away. What's in it? If you gave me examples like there's a desk, there's toys, there's a bed, then you could be, you're, you're very likely to be right, but does it mean that you're doing remote, remote viewing or is it because you just have a general common sense of what's probably going to be in that location? Yeah. Or if I gave you, lat, you know, they'd use latitude and longitude, but if you gave it to a person to understand latitude and longitude, because that would have to be a central thing to be able to do the testing and you give them a point that is generally up towards the North Pole and they say, yeah, it's probably cold. Um, I think I'm seeing snow and mountainous. Is it remote viewing or is it just using common sense? So that's some of the hard times is they were trying to give sufficient clues that they could guess well versus removing those clues. And when they did that in the research, it said that at that point, any data that, that would suggest the remote viewing was gone. Why I believe the story is like he could actually tell what was going on inside the building. Like, he could tell that there was a building in that cold place, that it was near a body of water. Right. I find that credible. Like he could tell that people were welding inside. If you said there was something going on, that could mean literally anything. That could right. mean someone's buying ice cream, because that w that is something going on. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, like, you know, likely conclusions of chancing working for them, plus giving them enough general cues that they can guess more times right than wrong. But, yeah, it's very inclusive, but at the same time, our conversation, we're saying, well, we think that remote viewing does work. It just doesn't seem to work in the ways they're trying to do it. That's the end of this podcast. Please subscribe and...